Good evening. Governor Hochul announces a new mandate. uh, Well, actually, the same old mandate extended to February 1st. The fires sweeping through Colorado take over 500 and maybe as many as 1,000 homes in less than half a day. And the death at 99, just three days short of her 100th birthday of Betty White, the famed comedian and spokesperson for people who have been able to last in show business almost as long as myself. (laughs) And with these and other stories, I'm Paul DiRienzo for the WBAI News for Friday, December 31st, 2021. New York statewide mask or vaccine requirement for public indoor places and businesses will be extended to February 1st. That's according to Kathy Hochul today. The governor introduced the order in mid-December as COVID-19 cases began to rise across the state. It was initially set to expire on January 15th. Several counties and local governments have expressed their inability to enforce a mandate. But Hochul said, and Hochul said the order will be reassessed again on February 1st. New York, meanwhile, saw another record number of new COVID-19 cases, more than 76,000 cases reported in the last 24 hours. Governor Hochul. My family and friends and staff do not know it's a holiday. I thought I'd tell them it is. A, it actually is a holiday. Um, we'll enjoy this more next year. And I'm joined by New York State's incredible dream team who are focused on this nonstop, and that is Catherine Garcia, our Director of State Operations. Pools at our disposal, health organization on November 26th. We experience a behind the scenes making sure that all runs well uh, to uh, ensure that we have our operations smoothly running, which we do. Um, New Yorkers should know we are working around the clock to fight this surge. And as we hit this new year, it's also an opportunity to reflect and reset. And we've been saying for a long time we are going to experience a very serious winter surge. You know, we talked about it over the first weekend in October. We talked about it again at the end of October. We talked about it again over before Thanksgiving. We talked about how we, on the first, very first day that Omicron was identified, by the World Health Organization on November 26th, we literally declared a state of emergency here in the state of New York, the first in the nation, to make sure that we were prepared and had all the tools at our disposal to be able to proactively anticipate what was coming, but also to react when necessary. So why I want to talk about a 2.0 plan is simply a, a reminder that we're heading into a new season, a new year, Kids are coming back to school. Our hospitals are overstretched. And so we wanted to amplify the policies that have been working thus far and also analyze uh, where we're going next. So let's look at the data. It's not a wave like the waves of the past. And we can talk about this. The the numbers, the cases do continue to rise. There's no disputing uh, statewide our numbers per 100,000, which is really the best way to analyze what is the true picture of what's going on. Statewide, it's 271 um, cases per 100,000. And you can see the chart here that that just continues to go up from where we were just early in November. So we have 76,000 positive cases today, 76,555 cases today. Uh, It's almost uh, not worth it to say we're breaking records. We're breaking records every day, and we'll probably continue to do so until we hit that downward trend, which we hope happens sooner than later. But uh, we don't have a lot of precedent other than looking at what's happened in a few other places. But it's also important to put this in the context of what New York has experienced in relation to the other states. The trend is identical. Washington, D.C., where my children live uh, and are always conscious of 
the impact of this on their lives, and I hear what's going on in D.C. all the time. Uh, New York, New Jersey, Puerto Rico, Rhode Island, Florida, Illinois, Maryland, Massachusetts, and Connecticut. This is happening everywhere. And so just to remind New Yorkers that uh, we're not unique in this. We are being hit very hard, without a doubt, but uh, this is also a, a national phenomenon, a global phenomenon, in fact. And also, we are testing more. That's one of the reasons we're seeing high numbers, and that is a good thing. It is a good thing that we have so many test kits and locations and availability of tests all over. And in terms of where we are with respect to the rest of the nation, we're number three in the country for per capita testing, number one in the large states, which is incredible. Well, if you compare us uh, to some of the smaller ones, they might be a little bit ahead of us, but you look at the larger states and we are doing a really good job in terms of getting testing out. We can always do more. And this is all according to John Hopkins University, Johns Hopkins University, which is tracking the trends. So we are testing more without a doubt. A priority of our administration, we've executed it and now we have the results to show. So our hospitalizations continue to rise. Uh, closing on an, on uh, 8,000, which is not a, a, a milestone we hope to hit, but it's also very concerning. We also we know that hospitalizations are putting a lot of stress on an already overtaxed health care system. And that's Governor Hochul earlier today. Meanwhile, New York is sending millions of COVID-19 testing kits to school districts across the state in order to keep students in school after they return from winter break. The state has ordered, ordered 37 million test kits at this time, and more than 5 million have already arrived this week, with an additional 6 million tests arriving through Monday. That's according to Director of State Operations Catherine Garcia in order to get tests distributed to schools on a regular basis over the next few weeks. The state will also be supplying counties with tests and keeping in touch with county leaders, school boards, and superintendents to ensure they have the necessary supplies to stay open. Keyword to stay open. And across the country in Colorado in the beautiful city of Boulder, for anyone who's been there and knows what a lovely place it is, one couple returned home to find the mailbox about the only thing left standing. Charred cars in a burned trampoline lay outside smoldering houses. On some blocks, homes reduced to smoking ruins stood next to practically ones practically unscathed by the flames. Colorado residents, driven from their neighborhoods by a terrifying wind-whipped wildfire, got their first heartbreaking look at the damage the morning after, while others could only wait and wonder whether their homes were among the more than 500 feared destroyed. That's just a little piece of the frightening, terrifying fires. You can watch the videos. They're available all over the Internet. Uh, the terrifying fires. Colorado residents driven from their neighborhoods by the wind whip. Um, at least seven people were injured. But remarkably, there were no immediate reports of any deaths or anyone missing in the aftermath of the blaze outside of Denver. Kathy Glab found that her home in the town of Superior, where she lives with her husband, had been turned into a pile of charred and twisted debris. It was one of seven houses in a row that had burned to the ground. Despite the devastations, Glab said that her family intends to rebuild the house. 
they've owned since 1998. They love that the land backs up to a natural space and they have a view of mountains from the back. The wildfires erupted Thursday in around Louisville and Superior, neighboring towns about 20 miles northwest of Denver with a combined population of 34,000. Tens of thousands were ordered to flee as the flames swept over drought-stricken neighborhoods with alarming speed, propelled by gusts up to 105 miles per hour. At a Costco in Superior, two store employees came running toward the checkout lines, one of them shouting, everyone evacuate, evacuate, evacuate. A video that was made by a person there showed dark skies and whirling debris outside. The falling ash filled their ears and she had to squint to keep it from getting in her eyes. The store was left standing. The cause of the blaze was under investigation. Emergency authorities said utility officials found no down power lines outside where the fire broke out. And here are some clips from today's news conference. Overnight, firefighters continued mitigation efforts. Good news. We still have no reports of casualties or fatalities. The one missing person we had last night has been accounted for and is well. So that's awesome news and actually, I think, given the events that we had yesterday, pretty miraculous. We were fortunate that the winds dissipated last night. We're expecting snow today. That snow has already started. We're hoping to see three to six inches of snow and some good moisture. That's certainly going to help our efforts. This morning, Governor Polis, myself, and others flew over the area to assess the damage. We know there are approximately 2,000 homes in the burnt area. We certainly did not lose 2,000 homes. We did see entire subdivisions, as I talked about last night, the west side of Superior, Old Town Superior, that are totally gone. That accounts for easily for 500 homes. West of Superior, out towards Marshall, El Dorado Springs area, we've, we saw dozens of burned out homes. The south side of Louisville suffered some pretty catastrophic losses as well, dozens of homes. Damage assessment is continuing today. We won't have final numbers until late tonight or tomorrow, but we are fully expecting this to be 500 or more homes that were lost. The fire burnt in an interesting dynamic with mosaics. You can see the, the, how the wind and the topography drove that fire in certain directions, devastated some neighborhoods and some blocks and left neighbors standing and intact. I know residents want to get back to their homes as soon as possible to assess damage. In many of those neighborhoods that are currently blocked off, it's still too dangerous to return. We saw still active fire in many places this morning and we saw, we saw down power lines we saw a lot of risk that is that we're still trying to mitigate as soon as residents are able to get back we're going to let them back that's our goal we don't want to keep people out of their neighborhoods or their homes i'm going to turn it over to governor polisau thank you thank you sheriff pelly uh, just uh, moments ago, we uh, did a aerial reconnaissance mission thanks to the Colorado National Guard uh, of the areas impacted. Um, we uh, were able to do it in the brief window before the snow and how grateful we are that the snow has started. Um, there were still 
uh, some areas with active flames. Uh, most mostly it was looking at uh, the neighborhood level uh, devastation. As the sheriff indicated, there's neighborhoods where because of the nature of the fire spread by gusts of up to 105 miles an hour, uh, it would spread to a house here or there, over other houses, past other streets. Uh, a very unusual uh, burn pattern. And, and the other unusual factor is just as in, in the blink of an eye. Um, this was a uh, disaster in, in, in fast motion uh, all over the course of half a day, uh, nearly all the damage. Many families having minutes, minutes to get whatever they could, their, their pets, their kids, into the car uh, and leave. Uh, the last 24 hours have been devastating. It's really unimaginable. Uh, it's hard to, to speak about. Um, like many Boulder County residents, I have texts and voicemails from friends uh, let, letting me know whether they're safe or not, what they've lost. Um, I also spoke to the president just before this press conference. The president called. He offered uh, his support for the people of Colorado. They also gave uh, verbal authorization. The president approved the expedited major disaster declaration, and that will be finalized and papered in the next couple hours. What that means is it allows those who suffer loss, small businesses and homeowners, uh, they won't have to wait for the preliminary damage assessment for housing and small business assistance. So that will be forthcoming very soon um, because of this disaster and the actions that the president took. Um, and the president sends his regards to the people of Colorado and those who are directly impacted. Uh, this hit uh, close to home for so many of us, uh, literally in some cases for those of us who live nearby, but also uh, in terms of this being a fire that wasn't a wildfire uh, in the forest, it was a uh, suburban and urban fire. The Costco we all shop at, the Target uh, we buy our kids clothes at, um, all surrounded uh, and damaged. Nearly a thousand homes in two very tight-knit, beautiful communities that our state has are gone. And, you know, we talk about houses destroyed, but each, each house is not just a house, it's a home. It's a, a sanctuary of comfort for those who live there. It's a reservoir of memories where families were raised. And I want to introduce uh, a hero, Mike Smith, Smitty. He's been the incident commander on this fire since it started and uh, is hopefully being replaced today by a federal incident manager. But uh, he's done a hell of a job. It's all a good guess right now. As I said, we know we lost approximately 500 homes around Superior, the west side of Superior. We saw dozens of homes burned out in between Superior and El Dorado Springs. We saw dozens of homes burnt in the south part of Louisville. I would estimate it's going to be at least 500 homes. I would not be surprised if it's 1,000. And that's a news conference earlier today outside of the fire area in the Boulder, Denver area of Colorado. The two neighboring towns are filled with middle and upper middle class subdivisions with shopping centers, parks and schools. The area is between Denver and Boulder, home to the University of Colorado. Scientists say climate change is making weather more extreme and wildfires more frequent and destructive. Ninety percent of Boulder County is in severe or extreme drought, and it hasn't seen substantial rainfall since midsummer. Denver set a record for consecutive days without snow before it got a small storm on December 10th, its last snowfall before the wildfires broke out. 
And iconic actress and comedian Betty White passed away today. That's according to her agent. White, who is 99 years old, would have celebrated her 100th birthday on January 17th. White was in the entertainment industry for about 90 years, having first appeared at the age of eight years old on an episode of a radio program entitled Empire Builders in 1930. The actor's long career stretches from 1949's Hollywood on television to a 2019 voice role in the Disney Plus series Forky Asks a Question with the Golden Girls and the Mary Tyler Moore Show among the enduring highlights. Besides starring in sitcoms and making guest appearances and dozens of others, she was a reliably witty game show host and guest parade MC at the California Rose Bowl and New York's Thanksgiving Day Parade, soap opera actor on The Bold and the Beautiful, dabbling in drama on the big screen in, as a U.S. senator in 1962's Advise and Consent, and on TV, playing Bones on the show Boston Legal. Hosting Saturday Night Live in 2010 at the age of 88, she earned her fifth Emmy Award and a new generation of admirers. White was a pioneer in more ways than one. She starred in and produced the 1953 sitcom Life with Elizabeth, becoming the first woman to exert control both in front of and behind the camera. Her first of two daily talk and variety series, The Betty White Show, in 1954, faced criticisms for having an African-American performer. White, who also produced the show, responded by saying, I'm sorry, live with it, and gave Audrey Duncan more airtime. Tributes to the beloved actress poured in from all corners of the globe after news of her death, including President Joe Biden, who told reporters in Delaware that it was a shame. She was a lovely lady, Biden said, 99 years old, as my mother would say, God love her. Here are her, some uh, of her speeches that she gave at various Emmy Award events. So keyed up and so geared up all day, all week, because just getting down into the finals and being in a place like this with all the people that are in this room, I am the lucky one who gets to come up and pick up this beautiful golden girl. But... Estelle and Rue and B and I all thank you. We're a match set. You can't split us up. We want to thank the network for taking a chance on four old bro uh, ladies. <laughs> it was such a wonderful show to be part of, the John Larroquette show, and I appreciated all the people, not only on the stage, but those a wonderful gang of writers, some of them from Golden Girls, who really saw into the true Betty. He died. <laughs> what? Oh, no, Rose. And the sheriff, I told him about me, how I kill men. <laughs> and he didn't believe me. He said, let's see, sleep with me. The Emmy goes to Golden Betty White, First Lady Jill Biden, told reporters, we're so sad about her death. A longtime pet enthusiast and animal advocate, White worked with many animal organizations, including the Los Angeles Zoo. In 2009, she became president emerita of the Morris Animal Foundation. White's devotion to animals went on, went on display early this year with the DVD and digital release of Betty White's Pet Set, a 1970s series in which she visited with celebrity guests and their pets as well as wild animals. A native of Oak Park, Illinois, White was married to game show host and producer Alan Ludden from 1963 until his death in 1981. And finally... Although farewell celebrations to the pandemic year of 2021 were almost as muffled as those that ushered it in, news that the Omicron variant wave appeared to be starting to recede brought hope for a happier new year. The Australian city of Sydney was one place where the new year char cha charged in with something like full swagger as spectacular fireworks glittered in the harbor above the opera house. 
But many other landmark cities were foregoing pyrotechnics as midnight rolled across the globe with displays called off at Paris's Arc de Triomphe. London's Riverside and the Petronas Towers in Kuala Lumpur. The glittering ball is still due to drop at New York's Times Square, but the crowd shouting out the countdown of this year's exit is set to be a quarter, the usual side, masked up, socially distanced, with vaccine proof in hand. Still, South Africa, which first raised the alarm about the new fast-spreading coronavirus variant, gave the world one of the last big good surprises of the year, becoming the first country to declare its Omicron wave had crested, and with no huge surge in deaths. The abrupt lifting of a nighttime curfew meant celebrations could ring in 2022. And that's some of the news for Friday, December 31st, 2021. The news is produced by Linda Perry, our engineer is Reggie Johnson from New York City. I'm Paul DiRienzo. Thanks for listening. <laughs>